All right, we're live. Welcome, everybody, to Frontside the Podcast. Yep, hi. Uh, it's episode uh, 18? Episode 9. Episode 8. Nine? I'm doubling it to try to, yeah, nine, 19. To give a little bit, uh, we're almost into the... It's kind of like when you start a business. Digits. When you start a business and you, you never issue your first invoice as a number one, because that's for amateurs. So you got to start it at right. like 158. So whenever I like, I have a, like a, a little business that I'm starting, and I send somebody my very first invoice. I always start at like some crazy number. They're like, "Oh, this person has customers for real." Like, yes, <laughs> number one fifty-eight. <laughs> yes, this, this they person. must have at least three. <laughs> oh, he's, he, yes, yes, these guys, these guys are for real. <laughs> Seems legit. So yeah, mm-hmm. hi. It's been a it's been too long, Charles. It's been it's been too yep. long. We've uh, we've had many conversations, but we haven't put them to tape, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's been busy around here as it as it gets, uh, but uh, we we got to carve out the time. We got to make it happen. It's, if we don't, it's definitely been the nobody summer. Nobody else will. It's been the summer of love here at the front side for sure. Yeah, a lot of stuff has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a new uh, we have a new apprentice, um, mm-hmm. Casey, who is super awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. We've done just a, a ridiculous amount of uh, client work and. Uh, I guess in, in in the way of news, like I'm giving a talk in November at uh, Buffalo's Nickel City Ruby, which I'm stoked about. I'm staring at a robot that is mostly working that must fully work by that point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, That's it. But it's really fun to work on. Uh, and I wish we could say we weren't podcasting because, you know, you were working on the robot. Um but that's not that's not entirely true. No, it's also been gathering dust. The, it's right next to the podcast mic in in the storage room that looks like a scene from uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, it's looking at you, <laughs> accusingly. <laughs> my my robot is being worked on me. by top men. <laughs> but we we need to get to you know if you want if you want any help with that, uh, I know that the work we did there at uh, RailsConf on it was a lot of fun. I was really hoping you wouldn't say anything about that because <clears throat> I really did not want to publicly acknowledge uh, the the fact that you have basically driven this. Um, I'm giving a talk about it, so I think I have to take all the credit. <laughs> um, I think I think I think people aren't supposed to know that you're the person that actually was like actually the way that C extensions work is this dummy. You, you, know, were, you were nicer about it. I, call, I called you an asshole. <laughs> if I recall, if, if memory serves correctly. Uh, so, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's cool. We get to do you know when when things slow down a little bit, we get to do some r- really cool stuff. I think uh, uh, I'm excited to jump back into that and wrap that up and talk to people about it and use it to teach kids uh, the the programmings. Yeah, I've, Raspberry Pi is amazing. Why didn't anybody ever? Oh yeah, tell what, me are, what are you doing with your Raspberry Pi? I saw you have like this crazy setup in the other room. I haven't even asked you about yet. So uh, my idea is, I actually want to build a laptop for my son, um, but I want to build a laptop that he can build. So it's actually kind of cool project because my dad is really into woodworking, and so what we're doing is we're kind of combining two generations of expertise for the third generation. So right now he's you know he's he just turned five. He can't read yet, so a full-fledged computer is probably not, um, you know, isn't isn't exactly what we want for him right now, uh, because but we because we want him to experience that kind of raw textual interface first. Um, so what we're going to do is I've got the parts. I'm going to assemble all of the the, the com- electronic components, and then my dad is building a cabinet for this thing to essentially make him a laptop. Um, <clears throat> and then what we're going to do is we're going to actually this Christmas. We're gonna have we're gonna give him the cabinet, and probably have like a, a dry erase or a plexiglass screen on it, 
and there won't be any computer parts in the middle and he can assemble it himself and then play with it and then in six months time or for his birthday the following year we're actually going to give him the, the, the computer parts and then we're going to help him build it. So he's going to actually get the, the box as a toy. It's going to be a toy computer to start out with. And then like Pinocchio, it's going to become a real computer. So it's sort of a long troll. If you, yes. Of, uh, it's like, hey, it's like a computer except it doesn't actually work. And then you'll right. build one and it'll be like a computer except it won't actually work. And then you give somebody the gift of frustration of technical problems for a lifetime. <laughs> You've got such a fresh take on it. <laughs> uh, I don't want to sound I don't want to sound jaded or anything, but right, no, man, that's right. really that's really cool. It's the sort of the combined uh, noble profession of woodworking with uh, you know the tech wankery that we do. Right, and so it's going to be horrible, but we're giving ourselves <laughs> till Christmas so that uh, you know we can work out the bugs. Like the problem is, it's you know all these great ideas. Uh, especially, you know, this is something we encounter in software all the time. You have all these great ideas, uh, but unless you're willing to really, you know, unless you plan ahead um, and you're willing to say, okay, uh, I've got this thing that's happening in six months. I better start on it now. Yeah. Uh, it, it, there's a good possibility um, it might not end well. So uh, what I'm really meaning to say is get on that talk. <laughs> I'm, I'm, man, I'm excited. I, I actually can't wait to see it. I saw it was like a touch screen and you're going to, I don't know. Yeah. It, it looks like it's going to be pretty cool. And uh, I, I think, I don't know what's coming of it eventually, but both of the projects that we're doing rely on the Raspberry Pi. And there's just yeah. so many, like there's so many things that just wouldn't even be physically possible uh if without somebody doing crazy useless stuff like that and so i think you know 3d printing kind of started as a hobby hobby thing that could that, that's starting to look like it's going to turn real so it's, it's kind of a cool time to be involved with technology because we're in the in you know we're, we're taking uh some of the like everybody in technology there's so much money churning around in it and everybody's thinking about monetizing stuff but it started from play people were playing with stuff and these forms of play kind of spun out and turned into into you know things that changed society in some way or other and so uh it's uh it's really cool to see play kind of come back into it because uh, mm -hmm. it's kind of in stark contrast you see you know a lot of people are mad at silicon valley for looking at how to monetize everything and how to uberify everything and so it's really cool to see this sort of counterpoint where the people that are really passionate about technology are kind of jumping back into making getting your hands back on the technology instead of trying to product right. productize everything so, right, that can come later. Even Apple grew out of a user group. Right? Yeah, I think they, wow, I didn't think about that. And, you, and yeah. I was reminded when you talked about building a wooden case, I mean, that's what the Apple One was. It was just this mm -hmm. soldered together circuit board that these two dorks in their garage were doing in a wooden case. Like, mm -hmm. so uh, I guess what I'm saying is if, if, uh, if, if, you're, if your son is not uh, a billionaire in 10 years, I'm... I've obviously failed as a parent. <laughs> you, 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 something, you should really take a hard look in the mirror. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> So, I wouldn't go that. You might not look what you like what you see. <laughs> so yeah, um, so that that's all cool stuff, man. I'm I'm excited to see what comes out of that. You have to uh, throw a blog yep. post up or something when it's all done. Yep, yep. Um, Likewise. So uh, we did have a topic that we wanted to talk about today, and we have a few minutes to talk about it. And I, uh, it's it's funny. It's come up so much that that I want to uh, I want to broach it and. It, it doesn't sound like it's a deep and rich topic on the front, but it, it, you open it up and there's so much inside. And so the idea of uh, jQuery, uh, in, in, when you're writing front-end software like we do every day, all day, jQuery is a fact of life. 
It is in every project, and everyone has written everything that needs to be written for jQuery already. Um, all of the tools already exist out there. Widgets already exist out there. Uh, but when, when you're actually building a rich desktop-like application, there are some challenges and limitations and uh, and some, some things that, that jQuery widgets pose. And it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't sound like a big topic, but unpacking that actually kind of gets at the root of uh, what I think our jobs are about. So uh, I, I wanted to fish from, because you were the one that actually proposed the topic. So I kind of want to know what, what you were, what you were driving at. Well, it's just that, you know, like you said, it's, it's, it's something that we actually struggle with quite a bit. I mean, we, uh, we do most of our front end work in Ember, but there's just so much existing art out there in the terms of jQuery plugins and not even like jQuery plugins, like, um, well, I guess, well, just like bootstrap libraries are things that we've dealt with. Um, type ahead, uh, is, is at least nominally, a, a jQuery plugin, but, um, it's, it's essentially a standalone piece of JavaScript and kind of the, the, you know, we have on any given day, we, we might be struggling with three or four of these things and it guaranteed on, on every single project that we undertake, there's going to be at least two components that are, that we're going to attempt with existing, um, JavaScript libraries. And some of them, it ended up being a very good idea. Uh, and it ended up being a huge time saver because of the way that the um, um, the, the plugin was was. Can, can you can you come? Um, maybe we'll come back to that. Uh, but keep keep the example in your mind. So some of them have been a really good idea, and some of them have have been ex- like beyond extremely painful. Have been borderline impossible. Basically exposing incompatibilities. Right. Um, and so the question is, how do you how do you, how can how can you presage that? Yeah. Um, is something that I've been thinking about. Lately, like what characteristics when you're evaluating, should I use this or should I roll my own? You know, how can you tell if this is going to be a time sink? It would be nice if if there were, you know, a couple of heuristics that you could kind of uh, look to to say, well, this and this this looks like it's got the the fixings of, of you know, uh, um, a nice meal. Whereas, you know, this one is just going to taste bad and we're going to fight with it and it's just going to be. A millstone around our neck. Yeah. How do you know? Uh, how, do you, wish how do you know the, if the jQuery plugin that's sitting there holding a pen is about to write you a nice big check or stab you in the eye with that pen? <laughs> right. <laughs> I like your <laughs> I like your analogy much better. Um, and I, you know, I certainly don't pretend to have any insights or answers to this, but it is something that I've, you know, I've I've started to think about. Um, and so, anyway, yeah, that's. Uh, that's that's okay. That's the well, kind let's of the let's, let's I unpack see it. it a little bit. So you, you said sometimes you you get you you know the jQuery plugin saves you a bunch of time, writes you the check, and gives you some of your life back, which is like the point of reusable software is to give you some of your life back so that you're doing interesting stuff that is uh, that is focused on your business problem at hand rather than writing this ancillary yak shave stuff. So what's a, what's an example of a jQuery plugin, and and what are the criteria on which it, it qualified as something that was good, a good idea? Okay, so uh, one that I uh, would hold is, is something that was pretty easy to integrate with uh, and ended up being an overall time saver. And you might actually, uh, based on a conversation we had this morning, you might actually disagree with me on this, uh, which is totally fair, but I would say that the Twitter type ahead um, is an example of a type time saver. And I can point to a few things uh, in, about that API that I think, you know, that, that make it. Uh, that way. Now there are a couple of there are definitely a couple of different a couple of drawbacks, um, <clears throat> but 
So what's good? What's we, good about it? Because because I can I can I can tell you what some of my issues with the, with that one specifically have been, but but generally I think I agree with you in the idea that, of why why it it works and drops in and is able to be included. Um, uh, so 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 one thing about it is um, you know it has pluggable uh, it has pluggable uh, data sources. So there's essentially um, you know in memory JavaScript that you can just drop in and you can pass to the type ahead component when you create it that will tell it to give you callbacks whenever something is selected um, and will uh, abstract the completely and totally abstract away the transport of data to and from the server. So you can get involved to negotiate with the server and you can get involved to negotiate the response from the server and you have complete flexibility there. Um, so, so basically... So, so if you're building, so, 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 you know, for example, um, when the component detects that it's time to go ahead and um, it, it it wants to do some auto completion, control is completely and totally passed to you, and you can query the server, you can parse the results, and then there's a well-defined interface to hand it control back to the type ahead component. Uh, so, so that you know, for the for the the parts that are meant for extension. You know, it's very easy. It can be done all in JavaScript, no HTML. And the other thing that I would add to it is that there's uh, a consistency between the evented interface and the imperative interface. So that, and and I think this is this is uh, a principle that makes working with these APIs a lot better. In other words, if I call a method like I say set the selection directly, it fires the selected event. Uh, if someone, if a user comes in and they actually select something manually it fires the selected event um but no matter like there's some sort of underlying model that when a selection is made whether it's programmatically or whether it's through the user interface the same event gets raised so that i can use the same code i i don't have to have different code paths to handle those cases yeah. so so and and i guess stepping up a level um when when you're working on a single page application that involves like bound data and routes and things are interconnected between each other, so changes in one place are expected to be reflected in another place, this really runs counter to the way that most jQuery widgets are designed historically. Right? jQuery widgets are meant to be uh, grabbed and stuffed in a static HTML, so so they bind to a text input of some kind, right? Like because because mm-hmm. your only interface to and from the server generally historically has been through form fields, and so it's like oh here's a date picker component or an autocomplete component or something whose job is to just update what's in this form field to be syn- to syn- be synchronously sent back to the server at some point in the future, but it's all going to be serialized up and sent using, you know, classic HTTP transport, like nothing magical is happening here. And, and so you could pile the worst pile of hacks and garbage into a widget plugin and nobody cares because its whole job is by the end of, by the end of this interaction, it should have properly updated uh, a form field with a new date or a new auto completed option or a comma, delimited you know set of tags or something right Mm -hmm. it's it has Mm -hmm. a it has a very simple goal and nobody cared how it got there and all of a sudden now we're building these applications that are very much alive and they're breathing and they're like desktop applications and those tags uh need to be able to respond to changes in the underlying data from other places and these things were generally not designed with that in mind so autocomplete and and so and it really 
exposes the quality of design in the piece of software. And I don't think anybody would argue that jQuery widgets are the pinnacle of software design. They're generally quick and dirty, and they got a job done for a lot of the time. And so people have this in their mind, including me, that, hey, oh, I know that I have have a date picker plugin. I'll just drop that in here. And then you try to do that with something like Ember or Angular, and you realize you have to wrap it to allow it to, to play in this ecosystem of bound data Right. And bi- exactly. binding data That's in and out is like. <laughs> well, and there's exactly binding in data. They can make it easy or they can make it hard. Yeah. Because you're, you're exactly and, and right. Some, some of these have the an answer API that is that always. Yeah. The answer is almost always to wrap it in a component. And what that means is your, your application proper has a data flow network. Whether you're aware of it or not, but like that's kind of the the, the underlying thing for, for for these this next wave of for these this the current wave of frameworks like Angular and like Ember, where you've got uh, you know data that's very clearly related to each other and flowing around, but then at the borders of that data flow network, you have you know you kind of I kind of think of it as like the 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 sewer at the castle wall. You know, stuff can go out and stuff can come in. Um, or maybe you can think of it as the gate. That's a that's perhaps it depends on the plugin, mm-hmm. I guess. You can try. <laughs> uh, you can think of it as the drawbridge or uh, or the sewer, but um, <clears throat> you need some some plugins make it very easy to regulate that flow of data in and the flow of data out. So this gets back to what I was saying earlier. If, if there's you know consistency between um, the imperative and the evented interface in the component. You know, you, at the at the edge of your data flow network, that's kind of where your observers belong. So I want to observe values um, that are kind of seamlessly related to each other inside the application proper, but inside this component, at, you know, on on the edge of my application, you know, I can set up an observer, and when a new value kind of comes down the pipe, I can kick it over to the um, to the to the plugin to the component, and if it's got a nice uh, you know, Im- imperative API for like setting, you know, a date object, not a string or or um, something like that so that I can be sure that if I set this thing through the imperative API or the user interface, the exact same set of ripple effects are going to happen. Then it's really actually pretty dead simple, safe. Whenever a new piece of data comes down the pipe, I copy it over into the, the plugin. And the same thing goes for when you know uh, on the evented side of the plugin is you know when some when the user interface of the plugin something happens that raises that event i can listen for it and then i can copy it into the 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 data flow network of my application and then it'll get propagated to all the places uh, that it needs to get propagated and if it plink goes around there and comes back um, in some other form then i can copy it down and eventually it'll stabilize and so there are, um, you know, so so there are some plugins out there that are very data driven uh, like that. Even though, you know, the the API to them is imperative rather than reactive, or there's a combination of both. Um, you know, those those kinds of things make your life a lot easier. Yeah. So so my experience is with the best and worst has to do with, um, like you said, where that data lives and how active is that data. So sometimes, so, like, so there's like. There's like cool active like uh, data that is like uh, I mean active in that like it's it's the type of it's like the person that is jogging at the stoplight. It's just ready. It's always ready to go. That data lives in JavaScript land and it's live bound and it's it's consistent within the plugin. 
and uh, it's always looking for like the next thing that it should be doing. Um, it's and, and you can always tell like because the data is stored in in JavaScript and is consistently consistently managed within a plugin. And then you see really lazy plugins where the data is like just like duh. it's like the 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 data is like an the, it's shuffled around yeah. inside the event listeners or or worse it's pushed into the DOM. And so like mm-hmm. it that and, and data that lives in the DOM is the 800 pounds man that has to be like craned out of his house. And so this this so like uh for example the bootstrap popover stuff where yeah I was going to say <laughs> we need to get on to a, a more pathological case. Yeah, so it like like in 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 the worst possible case the most important data that you have is turned in bootstrap popover is turned into a string of DOM stuff and supposed to be smushed into the page and it just lives there laying around like a lump while it waits for you to you know like hopefully like rebind your click events on it somehow with you know yeah it's just the it's, grossest it's, thing it's it's the grossest and, and managing html in general is the biggest problem and the biggest problem that we've had with the um the type ahead is the html that it generates um and managing that html and so in the case of the type ahead it's like the placement like we don't you have to get in there and muck around with where it's going to place the html is it going to put it in the body tag uh, can you tell it? Can you configure it? Whereas, uh, you know, a, a, a jQuery plugin that just puts its content in line somewhere is going to be much more manageable from that aspect. And the problem with a bootstrap popover is that you're embedding, it's a component that embeds HTML inside other HTML. And really, that's the death kiss. Like, uh, because of the way that you know, uh, modern MVC frameworks work is that HTML is generated for you. And really what you're providing is a function to map a model into HTML. And so once you generate the HTML, any code that you hand it to is now dead. Uh, so, you know, what in, in, in our case, we were trying to embed some generated code inside of a bootstrap popover. And so the bootstrap popover did not let you it basically through its API, it lets you take pass it a string of HTML to embed in the popover code, right? So I'm clicking something, and then I show a popover, and Bootstrap needs to know what's the string of HTML to put in that popover, and you have to store that as a string. And this is they could have made it, they could have done it a little bit better by giving a function. Say let me let me pass you a function, and when you need an HTML element to put somewhere. Come talk to me. Uh, come talk to the function. But they didn't do that. And so when the more a plugin asserts control over the generation of HTML, the less of a payoff it's going to be. Like that's a big, big, big problem because um, you know part of the promise of these frameworks is that they will control the HTML for you. Uh, and so when when you hand it off, that HTML becomes a dead fish. And so this was the problem that we were having is. The first time when you did the click, you were, we were able to generate the popo the H, the proper HTML in the popover. We essentially made it as a, a you know a computed property off of a, off of the model, rendering a template. But then because we were passing it as a string, and no other code could have reference to it, it was a dead fish. Yeah. If we changed something else in the application, the stuff in the popover did not change to reflect that. And then it got worse because we wanted to embed a popover inside a popover. <laughs> and you know it it soon became apparent that the entire enterprise was untenable like it was just 
the framework needed more control over the HTML that was getting rendered. Yeah, and it's um, really it's really weird to have a conversation with somebody and say that I realize that you are used to using this, but that is a an incompatible strategy with this style of building applications that we've now adopted. Right. And that's a right. that's a weird trade-off to have to explain to people and say, hey, do you remember all the time where you used to get jQuery plugins for free and you got free functionality that you would just drop into your server-generated web pages? And they would say, yes, I love that. And you go, you don't get that anymore. Right. These might save you some work. And, right. and, and, the, the, and we're sort of in a transitional period right now where people are either rewriting this functioning functionality or properly wrapping better quality component libraries mm-hmm. like pick a for day picking. Um, and, and so I, you know, we're maybe 24 months out from there being a, a solid library of, uh, you know, web component based technologies to replace a lot of these jQuery ones that we use every day. Um, Right. But it's and it's a way off. Is when you have a when you have a strong model, the actual HTML generation do, isn't isn't that difficult. Uh, and and you know like a date picker seems like a pretty intimidating intimidating task. And it is when you're doing something like a jQuery plugin. And I think that a lot of the problems that people have been or a lot of the problems of like not providing a native date picker uh, that's written only inside the framework is because it seems so daunting to um, – it seems very daunting for people who are used to looking at Bootstrap Date Picker, um, to use an example, and being like, oh, my God, that's so much code. I don't ever want to do that. Um, whereas you know, if, you, if you take HTML generation off the table and updating, you know, updating that stuff and not worrying about event listeners and, and all that kind of junk – then it actually becomes a lot more tractable, um, and so I think that hopefully what we'll see is is a uh, a move towards more stronger in memory models of of the concepts that these components are trying to represent, and then binding a, a user interface to them becomes uh, much less um, stressful of an exercise. That's a good point. Um, I think people because people have been people have have not even tried to think about it in terms of models. They've tried to think about it in terms of uh, imperative programming and, hey, I just need to solve this problem. And so when you're looking at a date picker and you click next month, it has to go, oh, wait, what is next month? Hold on. And it, and it does all of this right. stuff kind of on the fly rather than having a solid concept of what months are, that it's sort of a linked list uh, that 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 moves things in time, you know, uh, Right, and so all you're doing is shifting a single month. Uh, you're updating a single reference, and everything else just falls out as a consequence of that. I, and, and like I said, I think I think we're a little ways away from from these this being sort of a, uh, a more widely adopted mindset. But you're starting to see it. Like you said, the auto, uh, you know, Twitter type ahead has a pretty well constructed API. I'm really impressed mm-hmm. with what I've seen from Pickaday. Um, right, and, and so right. I think I think things are. And again, the problems the the problems that we've been having with uh, with that really have come down to the HTML that it generates. Yep. You know, it, it basically um, inserting stuff into the DOM because essentially what you're doing is you're creating a large private API surface area uh, whenever you do that, and so just having to kind of bind putting putting in all the hooks uh, to, to to bind that, and the more HTML generation that happens, the more of that private API undocumented API you have to cover. Yeah, and, and, and I guess the, the, the hard part for me as a developer is was coming to grips with the difference between how free that stuff is in coming from a Ruby on Rails background 
and and somebody will even write a gem, so you just have a little helper in your DOM, and you're like, oh yeah, right. do the date picker thing over here. Uh, it, it, coming from where that's totally free to where that's a relatively expensive thing to do until these, uh, like I just saw a really great Ember uh, wrapper for one of for one of these date pickers that, uh, in for most people, will just drop in for them. Um, right and right. I'm, uh, but I, I love to heart you know you harken back to uh, I don't know if you saw Rich Hickey's conf at, or talk at RailsConf 2012, but my favorite part of that was you know he was saying it's important to to realize the difference between simple and flexible versus easy. And you know gem install hairball is easy, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it it might not be the best uh, or more flexible long term solution. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you know, just most people, you're, you're right. We're going to see more flexible and, and simpler solutions and they will become easy. Yeah. Because you're um, not used to having to as crack, a consequence. You're not used to have to crack those open and you're not used to having to weigh the quality of a, of a plugin's API. You know, mm-hmm. that's, like, that's a relatively right. new concept if you're building. Right. But at the same time, the expectation of, of what a uh, web application should do uh, is, is changing and it's increasing. Like, I find myself more annoyed at GitHub. Uh, on a day-by-day basis by the fact that stuff is changing in my world and the web page is not updating to reflect that. Like, it's very clear that they've got a lot of those issues hanging out in there. Um, now, I do think that it's great software, but what I'm saying is, is like, those didn't bother me a year ago. Um, but yeah, you're, now, you're starting to see, now, I think user demands are starting to go up. I, I agree. I yeah, think, exactly. Um, you know, it bothers me when I, I you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a recent example. You add a comment, and then it doesn't update the comment count badge on the on the screen. Like there's you know some observer that's not there or or whatever. Um, but you know that wasn't my expectation a year ago, and it certainly was not my expectation five years ago. But now it's now it is, and it's going to be like that for more and more users. I agree. Not less. Yeah. So anyway, we're we're at 30 minutes. My God, shut the hell has up. Has it been has Us. it been that long? <laughs> uh yeah well it's 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 uh i'm excited to see where things go with this because it's uh like a, like just so if you check out uh ember dash pick a day on github um it p i k a d a y there's a a really solid ember component that the that the uh, maintainer is improving uh rapidly and uh it it's it it feels like a portent of things to come like i just did that like uh that uh, uh, Ron Paul gif of it's happening. So it, it just it, it starts. To, it's starting to feel like this idea is getting traction, and there are ways to share code. Um, and so if people if people are out there trying to build single page applications, everyone has run into this and will run into this. And I urge you to take the crappy solution that you hate that you've created and um, put it out into the world for criticism and critique and uh, other people to improve. And let's like let's take some of these terrible things um, the, and and see if we can't make them better together, or look at it and realize it's worth scrapping and building a component from scratch in certain cases. Um, whatever whatever it is, it's uh, it's really cool to see this this idea is already starting to get traction, and um, it's uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward to our. I, I welcome our new component overlords for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Well, let's have a right. let's have a good week. You have a good weekend, sir. All right, you too, man. All right. Thanks for the talk. Yep. All right. All right. Bye. Bye bye.